It's good to see everyone that's here this morning, and if you're a visitor, we welcome you, and we have some visitors in our audience this morning from Washington State and also here in our community. We're glad that you're able to be with us. I want to talk this morning about the treasures in heaven, and I think this is good for us to get a perspective of what we really put importance on in life, what becomes the driving the driving force behind what we do and how that's going to play out in the end of our life or when Christ comes again as well. Here in Matthew, the sixth chapter, um, Jesus is, of course, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's uh, kind of battling some of the things that the Pharisees had been putting up for um, as, as a religion. And, and we're going to notice some of that as well. But we go to our, our text this morning in Matthew, the sixth chapter. And we're only going to read verses 19 through 21 because that's really the, the focus of our lesson this morning. And so he says, Jesus says there, Do not lay up for yourselves tre treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we read this text, it kind of brings the question to mind of where is your heart? Well, he tells us right here in verse 21, he says, it's where your treasure is. And when we talk about the heart, of course, some people would say, well, you know, I love you with all my heart. And we put our hand about our heart, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that physical heart this morning. It's, it's talking about our motives, our attitude, our thoughts, our passions, our deeds, and so on. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What do you concentrate on and what are you preoccupied with in life? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Most of your, of your time planning? What is most of your energy spent on? What particular object, if you want to say? What is it? When we wake up in the morning, what is it we're thinking about? And what is the driving force behind what we do all day long? Of course, we all have jobs. We all have chores. We all have things to do. But the, beyond those things which we do just every single day... What do we think about? What is the passion? What are we striving for? What is controlling our thoughts and our passions in life? If you think about it long enough, most people answer is that it's on a house, a car, a better job, new clothes, new shoes, staying up with the latest trends and fashions. Most of our time planning for something that we're going to do or a vacation we're going to take. It's we're worried about sometimes our savings and our investments and and our bank account and all these kinds of things. Those are the things sometimes that motivate us and drive us in life to keep us going on. And so we a lot of times get involved in just focusing on material things, the things of this life. We live in a society that's obsessed with obtaining and gathering things. We, 
We, um, that's, that's just part of the society that we live in. Things are what's important. If you don't think so, people will tell you things are important. The news and the media and the, the advertisements on TV tell you that you need to buy this and you need to buy this and you need to buy this because if you don't have these things, you really aren't in style or you really aren't keeping up with everything that you need to be keeping up with. And so, and if you don't have those things, you're looked at sometimes as a failure. He doesn't have a nice shiny car, so he must not be very good at what he does. So we live in the society of being obsessed with obtaining material goods and things in our life. And not all societies are like that, though. And if you think it is like that, you certainly haven't kind of stepped out of your little box, your comfort zone, and gone into different parts of this world and most of the world, the third world countries, and seen how other people live. We are rich. We are rich compared to what other people in this world have. But we live in a society that craves after things. Listen to this little illustration I ran across. Mr. and Mrs. Thing, by we don't know who, it says anonymous. Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that is the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingometer. When the thingometer is put to work in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the result is startling. There he is sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat from, all shining and new. Things, things, things. Things to clean with and things to wash with things to wash with and things to clean and things to wash and things to amuse and things to give pleasure and things to watch and things to play things for the long hot summer and things for the cold short winter things for the big thing in in which they live and the things for the garden and things for the lounge and things for the kitchen and things for the bedroom and things on four wheels and things on two wheels and things to put on top of the four wheels and things to put behind the four wheels and things to add to the interior of the things on four wheels. Things, things, things. And there in the middle of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, things smiling and, and, and pleased pink with things, thinking of more things to add to their things secure in their castle of things. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Thing, I have some bad news for you. Well, you say you cannot, cannot hear me because there are Things in the way, well, I just want you to know that your things cannot last. They're going to pass. There's going to be an end to them. Oh, you may be an error in judgment, maybe a, a temporary loss of concentration, or maybe you'll just pass them off to the second-hand thing dealer, or maybe they'll wind up, they'll, they'll wind up a mass of mangled metal being towed off to the thing yard, and what about all the things in your house? Well, it's time for bed. Put out the cat, make sure you lock the door to, put sure, put, to make sure some thing taker doesn't come and take your things. And that is the way life goes, doesn't it? And someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box, you. So 
You see how sometimes life is look at, looked at by others, that life is nothing but motivation to take and get and, and, and obtain these things. We basically live in a society where we're driven to acquire these things. Well, during the days of Jesus, they also had the same problem. They were also totally consumed with things, especially the Pharisees. Among all the other problems the Pharisees had, this was also one of their problems. They were thing-oriented. They were greedy. They were materialistic. They were covetous. And they wanted more and more things. And so, as we come to this part of the Sermon on the Mountain, Mount, in Matthew 6 and verses 19 to 21, Jesus says... Jesus was directing some of his teaching toward the Pharisees about this materialistic attitude and this, this uh, wrong attitude. The Pharisees had come up with a whole system of religion that was man-made and it wasn't of God. It was something that they came up with and about this, this materialistic way of life. And so the key to this whole sermon, really, if we go back to the fifth chapter... And verse 20 where Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, to be in my kingdom, you're going to have to live up to my standards, my teaching. And he uses the Pharisees as an example of how not to be. And the Pharisees were only concerned with the external, the physical, and the materialistic passion that they, they had. They were concerned about what they looked like, how they appeared, and all of these material things that were around them. Then in chapter 6, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. He says, they fast, they pray, they give, but it's all hypocritical. They did these things to be noticed and to be seen by men, not to glorify God. So Jesus tells them that they must fast and give and pray, but with the right motives and with the right heart. So there was this contrast between the Pharisees, between what the Pharisees were teaching and practicing and what Jesus was teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying God's standard exceeds their standard, and it's God's standard that's required to be in his kingdom. Now in chapter 6 and verses 19 through 21, he says you must also have the right um, view toward wealth or luxury. And then from verses 25 through 34, you must have the right understanding of what the difference is between a necessity and a luxury. In other words, what we need as opposed to what we want. So he's talking about first luxuries and then necessity. So first necessity. We all have the need to eat. We all have the need to sleep. We have the need to stay in a comfortable place and be able to sleep. And some clothes to wear. That's the necessities of life. We understand that. God understands that as well. And the Pharisees had missed it, though. 
They had the wrong perspective of wealth, and they had the wrong perspective of necessities. In verse 19, they're doing exactly what Jesus says not to do. They're laying up for themselves treasures here on the earth. They were consumed with greed and covetousness and not the way that Jesus wanted it. But we live in a society where all of us have to deal with this because we are wealthy and we have to compare ourselves with the word of God as well. So these verses are talking about how we handle these luxuries that we have, this richness that we have sitting here this morning. So the first 18 verses of the chapter show us the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the, their system of religion. And, uh, you know, wherever there's a, a, a false religion, there's a false teacher. And, and a lot of times there's greed involved as well. And the Pharisees were doing that very thing. They were using their religious system to line their own pockets. To them, to be rich meant to be holy. They would say, if you want to say, they would say, look at me, how much I've got. I must really be holy. Look at what I'm wearing. I must really be holy because God has blessed me. And God is blessing me because I am holy. That's what they thought. That's what they had in their mind. Well, we might say, well, where'd they get that idea? Because in Matthew 19, 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And that must have kind of floored the Pharisees when they heard that because they were proud of their wealth. And they, they had the wrong understanding of their system of religion. And so they greedily gathered money and the richer they became, the more they pretended to be to the people that this was a mark of their spiritual spirituality and righteousness. If they were wealthy, then they were thinking people would look at them as being righteous. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Well, I don't know where they really got this idea, but if we go back to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 28, it might have begun to, to develop from, uh, from some of the teaching here. When God had delivered um, Israel from the land of Egypt and brought them up to the edge of Canaan, the promised land, there were conditions for them to enter into that promised land. And on the basis of those conditions being met, uh, there were the promises that they would receive, the blessings that they would receive. But look at Deuteronomy, and, and also notice this, that all of the blessings were material things. They would, God would bless them with big crops and, and all these things if you read the first part of Deuteronomy 28. But look at, at the 15th verse here. You have the opposite of being blessed. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed, cursed, be, 
Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of the flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. In other words, God tells them, material blessings I'll give you as a sign of your obedience. You'll be blessed. And so this may have been where they, they got this whole idea in the first place. I don't know. We don't know. But the old law was simply a law of obeying and receiving the blessing, doing things ritualistic, and it didn't necessarily have to be from the heart. But out of a, uh, this accumulation of wealth, it became their goal and they, so that they could say and stand there and say, and look at me, all that I've got. I've been blessed by God because I've been, I'm righteous. I'm rich. Look how holy I am. But the Bible warns against this kind of an attitude. Many, many places. About, warns against greed and covetousness and being rich. In spite of all those warnings, Luke 16 verse 14 says, The Pharisees were lovers of money. They were covetous. They wanted money. They wanted material wealth and possessions. They wanted to be seen by men as looking wealthy by the way they dressed. They wanted to impress by the things they had and the dress and clothing that they had. They were materialistic and the religion was a false religion. And so we can see from the greed, of the greed of the Pharisees why Jesus says what he does here and what he is saying here is that we must have the proper perspective of money and wealth and possessions. Make sure we don't put things in the wrong place and with the wrong importance above heavenly wealth. And as long as people want more and more and more things, they'll think of more ways to make it and more people to sell it to and those who buy it will do what they've got to do to buy it. And it becomes this vicious circle of obtaining things. And then when you go and buy things and you spend all your money, you've got to go out and work hard so that you can buy more things and spend more money. And we get into this vicious cycle of then maybe spending more than we make. And so we go pull out the credit card and we start spending money with our credit cards and we start buying things and we become obsessed with purchasing things even though we can't even afford it. The problem is with the heart of man. So we must divert our hearts away from this materialistic thought process, this covetousness, and look at the things that Jesus is saying here. And what he's saying is that he wants to divert us away from covetousness. We must handle all, all of our possessions and our wealth and our luxuries in life, and we must do it wisely with control of our passions and making sure that we're doing it for the right reasons. Notice 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So when we go out and we buy all these things that we don't need, 
Is it for the glory of God? But we do so much to indulge the self. Now let's look at our text. In verses 19 through 21, Jesus talks about two different treasuries. Notice he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So there's two different treasuries here that he's talking about. One's on earth and the other's in heaven. He says, Put your treasures in one, not the other. And he says, put them in heaven. You have a treasury on earth and you have a treasury in heaven. And certainly we understand the difference between earthly things versus heavenly things. And Jesus said, put it in heaven. Don't invest it here. Invest it there. He says, for where your treasure is, that is where your, what does it say? Your heart will be also. So again, we ask ourselves, where is our treasure? Well, it's wherever your heart is. That's where the treasure is. So where is your heart? That's the question. This is talking about how we handle our money here on earth in verse 19. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in Timothy 6 and verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. It isn't that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. What, it, what drives us, what controls where our passions are, where our motives are, is it all based on money or the gaining of money or the gaining of things? Is that what drives us in life? It's the love of money that corrupts and brings about sin. Solomon wasn't one who, who um, kept gaining fortunes and wealth until he was the wealthiest man in the world. And when it was all said and done, he said in Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In other words, there's emptiness, uselessness, meaningless. All these things really have no value. They really don't have any wealth. Ananias and Sapphira were husband and wife who decided that they were going to keep back part of the money that they sold some land for. Now it was their money to do with as they wanted. But what they did was they deceived about what? The way they gave it. They gave the impression that they were giving all the money that they sold the land for when they only gave a portion of it. They wanted everyone to think they gave it all when they only gave a portion and they lost their lives instantly. And Judas, who for a few pieces of silver sold out the Son of God, greed, covetousness, and then there was Demas, Paul said, he has forsaken me having loved this present world. And we could go on and on through the Bible and find many other examples of people who because of love of money and the love of the world and things that are in the world had troubles because of the greed and the love of money. So we need to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. Let's go back to verse 19 now. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What does that mean? 
The idea of the word treasure is, as Thayer says, the things laid up in a treasury collected treasure. In other words, he says, don't stockpile material things, is basically what he's saying here. We, know, we understand and we know that we have necessities. And so Jesus is talking about here um, not what we live on every day, but what we pile up because of greed and covetousness. It's not about our necessities. It's not about what we use to meet the needs of our daily life and for our family and for the poor and for the Lord's work or setting aside money for the future or making a wise investment so that we can better be better stewards of God's money later on in life. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about what you hoard and what you pile up. I think we need to sometimes get a, come to a better understanding about the blessings that God has given us. The blessings that we have in this life are still God's. They're not ours. These are blessings that he's allowed us to use while we're here on this earth for this short time. Sometimes I think we come to the conclusion that what we have is ours. Our possessions are ours, not God's. You know, my car and my, the title to my car or the registration on my car has my name on it, so it's mine. My house has my name on it, so it's mine. I bought it with my money, so I own it. It's mine. And so we get the idea that everything we possess and everything that we are blessed with is ours. It all comes down to where our heart is and about what is more important to us, what is, what is stockpiled up just to pile up for our own selves or for what we stockpile up for heaven. What? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about our luxuries here on earth and how we can become distracted by those luxuries if we're not careful and the pursuit of them to where it becomes that total focus of our life, that that's the only thing that drives us through life. So is he forbidding us to obtain these things? No. And we'll show you where that is. Is he forbidding us to have a bank account? Is he forbidding us to have a savings account, to have a life insurance policy, to maybe have some wise investments? Is he forbidding that when he says, don't put your treasures here on earth? Is that what he's saying? Some people might say, well, you shouldn't possess anything. You should just sell everything you have and live the best you can. Someone might say, well, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell all you have and give to the poor. What about that? The Lord is not condemning possessions here. The reason he told the rich young ruler to sell all he had because those things were distracting him from following Jesus. That was his focus, and the rich young ruler wasn't able to do that. That's what happens, though, as we get distracted by things in this life. The Lord is not displeased with us when we have possessions. 
God has blessed us with these possessions and he has displeased us with us though than when, when the possessions become more important than serving him. But again, <clears throat> where is our heart? Where is our focus? Where is all of our time spent? Where is all of our talent spent? What is it that motivates us through life? We can find all kinds of things that become more important to us than heavenly things, such as our jobs, our education maybe, a sport, our own comfort, our own pleasure, activities, the pursuit of anything that would pull us away from God, that would distract us from heavenly things. But God tells us sometimes about what is more important to us. The Lord has given us many blessings and the right to possess those blessings. <clears throat> All he wants is to be sure that our attitude is right and the manner in which we possess them. Listen to what Solomon wrote regarding wealth in Ecclesiastes 5 and verses 10 through 20. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods... When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept from their owners to his hurt. But those rich, riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he, became from, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? And all his days... I'm sorry. And all his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of his labor, and in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. As for every man whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he, who, for he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. God has blessed us. What do we do with the blessings? Do we squander him? Do we use it for our pleasure to hoard up or are we doing it for his glory? Notice in Proverbs also 21 and 20, there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. In other words, a wise man knows how to manage money, how to plan. Proverbs 24 and 3, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. 
In other words, a wise man knows how to build a house and fill it with these pleasant things for us to enjoy in life. God's not against that. God has given us these wonderful things. So we see then that the scriptures tell us that whether we are laying up treasures in heaven or laying up treasures on earth, it's not that we're not to possess anything, that we're not to enjoy anything, that we're not to accept these things that God has blessed us with in life, but what do we do with those blessings and how do we deal with them? The New Testament says the same thing. Notice 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it is our duty also to go out and work hard so that we can provide, so that we can have the things that we need to sustain life as we know it and enjoy the blessings of God. He isn't condemning being blessed. But what motivates us to achieve those riches and that wealth? What is it that motivates us in that? He's not talking about what we have. He's talking about the attitude that we have. It's right to seek needed things and to provide for our families and to plan for the future and to make wise choices through life about what we purchase and things of that nature. It's right to have enough money to contribute for the, for the work of the church and so the preachers can be supported and the work of the church can go on for the preaching of the gospel. It's right to do that. It's wrong to be greedy. It's wrong to be covetous. It's wrong to be materialistic. It's wrong to place more importance on gaining earthly wealth than heavenly wealth. It's wrong when that becomes the whole focus and passion of our daily life is the striving for material wealth, the gaining of wealth, and then letting the heavenly goals go by the wayside. And we come right back again then to the same motive. If I'm gaining to stockpile up, to hoard it and keep it, to indulge my selfish passions in it, to show off to my friends about, look at me, what all I've got. That's sin. That's a sinful attitude. Steve Jobs, one of the owners of Apple, worth about $10.2 billion at the time of his death at age 56. One of the wealthiest men in the world at that point, at one point, supposedly had this to say at his deathbed. He said, I've reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In, other, in others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, Wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sick bed and recalling my whole life, I realize that all recognition and wealth that I, that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. In the darkness, I look at the green lights from the life support machines and hear them humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God, the breath of, God of death drawing closer. Now I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth 
to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. Should be something that is more important. Non-stop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being, just like me. God gave us the sense to let us feel the love of everyone's heart, not the illusion brought about by wealth. The wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. Some said that that's a hoax, but it's still good words, still meaningful to us as Christians. So we ask ourselves the question, earthly wealth, for what? For what? I think about the work of the church that goes on sometimes on a shoestring budget, struggling and stretching for everything the church does it isn't that we're giving it all that we can give, is it? It's just that we're possessive and we're materialistic with what God has blessed us with, isn't it? That's the problem. It isn't the issue of whether you have. It's the issue of what you do with what you have, whether it's for, your, for the kingdom of God and his purposes. Colossians 3 and 5 says, covetousness is idolatry. And that's what Jesus had in mind here in these verses. Money can become our God if we're not careful. <clears throat> and they can become an idol to us if we're not careful. If we're just consumed with piling up stuff. And that's what drives us in life selfish accumulation of worldly goods. If I want to invest, if I want to pursue a successful business and I want to be aggressive in that and honest in what I do and do the best I can for others and for God and for my children and my parents and the poor and those in need, and that's one thing. <clears throat> but when I start piling it up for myself in extravagant living and become materialistic and covetous and that becomes more important than giving to God then I violated the God's principle and it becomes sin there's an illustration of a rich man that passed away and one of his acquaintances said to the other hey I heard that so and so died he said that's right he said well what did he leave and the friend replied, all of it. That's what happens when we die. We leave all of it. So why? Why? Put our deposits in heavenly things. Because that's what matters. That's what's important. Not the earthly things. Put our importance, our passions... Everything that we live for in this life. Now, it's not wrong to have these things, as we've noticed. But that should not be the driving force behind what we do, is to stockpile these things up. You know,
There is a danger, I believe, in having too many worldly treasures and becoming distracted by those treasures and not planning for our heavenly future. You know, one of the reasons that there is so much success in foreign works is because those people don't have the things to distract them from heavenly things. We're too distracted. The least little thing seems like it comes along. It distracts us from serving God. From worshiping him. From reading our Bibles. From studying and from helping those maybe who are in need. The things of this world. Well, I don't have time to do that. What are we doing? We're putting more importance on things than we are on heavenly things. Earthly things than heavenly things. Albert Barnes says this about verse 20 in our text. He says, Do not exhaust your strength and spend your days in providing for the life here, but let your chief anxiety be to, pre to be prepared for eternity. In heaven nothing corrupts, nothing terminates, no enemies plunder or destroy. To have treasure in heaven is to possess, is, is to possess evidence that its purity and joys will be ours. It is to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, 1 Peter 1 and 4. The heart, our affections, will of course be fixed on the treasure. To regulate the heart, it is therefore important that the treasure or object of attachment should be right. So, where is our heart today? Wherever it is, that's where your treasure is. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.